So how do you use technology in your daily life and how has it changed since the pandemic? Is your relief valve to live on your phone, consuming social media, perhaps videos, playing games online? I've been thinking a lot about this. Yeah, I remember how foreign and concerning it was to me to see my kids prefer to meet up with friends online than in the street. You know, in a world where we were already moving to greater self-isolation before COVID, will it be worse on the other side? Personally, I doubt it. See, we're social animals, and I know the greatest relief valve of all for me is gathering with friends around a fire pit after a great meal with some great drinks and just talking for hours. Now, all the technology in the world will never replace the human contact that we all crave so dearly. Demos thinks of herself as a muse, fueling her soul by facilitating the creative process. She has a Bachelor's of Science degree in Criminal Justice from Sam Houston University in Huntsville, Texas. After graduating from college, she decided to focus her attention on an acting career, earning many professional credits while working as a coordinator for the Los Angeles Burning Man community. From that experience, she worked to create a virtual reality version of the Burning Man Playa at brcvr.org. She is currently developing a new TV show about the lives of indigenous women, traveling to and living in South and Central America as she captures the experiences of these communities. Hi, Athena. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jeff. It's good to be here. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself, uh, who you are, what you do? Uh, that's a loaded question. I do a lot of things. To the core of who I am, I'm a muse. I inspire the creative process and facilitate its coming to fruition in all sorts of different forms. Um, most famously, I coordinated the LA Los Angeles Burning Man community for about 15 years through wow. events like the decompression festivals or our film festivals or newbie orientations or all sorts of things that went on in Los Angeles from 2002 to about 2017. I retired from those leadership duties to take a two-year sabbatical and that was, uh, and it took me a, a while to retire. And I don't mean retire like, you know, I'm retired and I'm on my own. No, it's just from those leadership duties. And I, I took a two-year sabbatical to just go wander around South and Central America. And I'm at the end of those two years. Well, what happened this year pulled me back into the Burning Man community with BRCVR, which is a virtual version of the Burning Man Festival. And we are one of the recognized universes of the Burning Man multiverse, which is a mouthful. But what it means is that Burning Man designated eight different technological forms to represent the festival this year. And we were one of them. We were the one that was VR centric. We were in headsets and socializing and creating, and it fueled my soul to foster all that creativity. Okay. Burning Man is apparently a lot more complicated than I imagined it was. I'm, I am not a, I'm not one that's ever participated in it. Uh, a mutual friend of ours, Scott, was telling me his stories. So you've been with Burning Man for 
a really long time. Were you involved in the, the genesis of it? How long was it around before you came in? Uh, Burning Man started in 1986. My first year was 1999. Okay. okay. But Burning Man is, you know, a lot of people think of it as a big, brave party in the desert. And while it does have that party element to it, it is really a subculture, a global subculture and a phenomenon uh, that has probably over a million people worldwide that consider themselves burners. They, yeah. These are people that have taken on the ethos, um, which is has a foundation of 10 principles. Okay. And those principles are principles that you can live by. They're things like radical self-reliance, uh, radical self-expression, leave no trace, decommodification, uh, gifting, immediacy, participation. These are all ways in which we can live our lives, radical inclusivity, and have others be in our lives and us in their lives in a more humane way. And in 2004, Larry Harvey gifted these principles to the community and the community accepted them fervently and has been growing uh, within them. So when did VR become part of the community, this, this universe in the multiverse? Because of COVID. So in April, uh, April 3rd, actually, is when, well, actually, it goes further back than that. In 2014, Greg Edwards decided that it would be really cool to create, it was his first year at Burning Man, and he wanted to recreate the experience in VR. At the time, we didn't really have social VR. It was just taking off. It was more single user in an atmosphere. Right. And, um, you know, we showed it to Burning Man. He came to me, showed it to me. I fell in love with it. We showed it to Burning Man. They thought it was really cool, but they didn't see the purpose in it. They had a platform called Second Life, which was serving the digital community. Yeah. And it, it, it didn't really have a purpose. And there's a principle of immediacy and it didn't fulfill it. Fast forward to 2020 and we have COVID. And on April 3rd, um, a friend of ours was having a birthday in April and he wanted to have a big birthday party and talk to Greg about doing a VR thing. And Greg's like, well, you know, I got this Burning Man thing. It's on a hard drive in my closet. Let me dust it off, literally blowing dust off the hard drive, which is never a good sign. <laughs> and, um, and plugged it in. And sure enough, it spun up and started. And he... Doug and, and Greg were then standing on the playa in virtual reality on April 3rd going, wow, this is really a thing. This could really work. One week later to the day on April 10th, Marion Goodell announced that Burning Man had been canceled for this year. Right. And we were already live and up and people were visiting. And mind you, it was the 2014 playa, but it was still the basic city. Sure. And then I get a phone call. And for me, I was just arriving. I just arrived in Mexico from Panama. I was at the tribal gathering, which uh, was con is now considered the last festival on earth. Um, oh, we, okay. There was a vice uh, piece done about us. We got shut down. The festival ended and the day that it ended, the military moved in and quarantined all of us and no one could leave. There was this pandemic. Nobody knew what was going on. It was very fresh. Like the festival ended on the 15th of March. Okay. Let's go back to that. Go ahead and okay. finish out the story on Burning Man. And then I'm, I really want to hear everything about 
uh, what you were doing down in South America and what, what projects you're working on. Okay. So now here we are, we have this VR Burning Man thing and I get a phone call in the beginning of April, like, oh my God, we're live and Burning Man canceled. Uh, and I was already a producer on the project back in 2015. So it was just sort of natural for Greg to reach out to me. And I immediately started contacting the Burning Man org saying, hey, we have this thing. It's really compelling. You should check it out. And they're not very much into technology. So they're like, well, we're going to look at other options and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, well, you should look at ours. Okay. And it was it was really difficult at the beginning to get them to even see it for one Almost the entire organization is on Mac, and okay. VR and Mac don't actually get along. Like yeah. there really isn't a VR platform that works on a Mac. Yeah, and yeah, no. nobody had headsets. There was one person in the company, their CTO, that had headsets. So we brought Stephen in and we showed it to him, and he was completely blown away. Uh, but it was just really hard getting everyone in and getting them to experience it. And there were these other platforms that were cell phone or computer, yeah. but not immersive VR. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not well. a technologist, so I, I don't claim to be some big geeky guru at all. But what I am is a community organizer, and I've been really good at getting the Burning Man community involved in various different ways. So was was the capturing of the Burning Man session in VR done as one of the art projects of it, or was this just you as a as a documentarian documenting it? Oh no 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 no! This is a world. This is a place you can visit, just like the event. If you yeah. would like to build a piece of art, you can. It will exist on the playa, and then you will have your own world. The um, the VR playa itself, um, every world gets a certain number of polys. Uh, the best way to describe a poly is it's like a three-dimensional pixel. Okay. So you get a certain number of them per world. So everything that's on playa, which is what we call Burning Man, um, are low poly count versions of the art. And then there's a portal next to it. And you go into the portal... And that takes you to the world of that art. So if you go to a beautiful piece by Kate Roddenbush called Helios, it exists on Playa. You can walk around the Burning Man Festival just like you would at Burning Man, minus the dust and the heat <laughs> and you're in your living room. Um, right. But you can walk around and you come upon Helios and you're like, oh, what a beautiful art piece. I want to explore it more. So you go into the portal and now you're transported to the world of Helios. And now this is the high-res version. You could have the sun setting. There's some soundscape that goes along with it. You can right. hang out with your friends. You can have like 30 to 50 people there with you. You're talking to them in real time. And you're having this compelling experience of presence with other people. And at a time where we're being told to physically distance, yeah. not social distance, Social distancing causes a mental health problem. We need to stop calling it social distancing. You know how you prevent the virus? You physically distance, not social yep. distance. So at a time when we need to physically distance, this allows us to socialize. We don't actually have to have social isolation. And so I have all these memories of hanging out with my friends. I have all these memories of meeting people. I now have pretty close friends from all over the world, just like I would meet at Burning Man, that I met yeah. at Burning Man. 
because right. it's just like Burning Man. You could turn up the heat on your house and someone could put a fan in front of you with dust and then you could have it all if you really wanted it. Do you, you, it sounds like you have created the compelling app for me to go out and maybe get my first VR headset and try it out because this sounds very cool. We were on a platform or we are on a platform called Altspace and Altspace was invented by a burner and is currently run by a bunch of burners. And so it's family and they're part of the Microsoft family and the VP whose department it's under the VP of XR, Alex Kitman, is also a burner. So we were, it's like this one big happy family, but that's not why we chose the platform. We chose the platform because the Altspace community felt like a good fit. Very yeah. cool. So that's why, um, so that's why we chose Altspace. So now we have this big happy family. They're very supportive of what we're building and what we're doing, and they they completely get it. But the Altspace platform didn't work on Mac. When um, Alex and Katie asked me, you know, what do you guys need? I said, we, we need it to work on Mac. Because of radical inclusivity, which is one of our principles, we need to be able to include as many people as possible. It works on PCs. It works on almost all headsets. We need it to work on Mac. And in a miraculous, I mean, miraculous form of code writing, they figured out how to get it to work on Mac in about two and a half months. Oh, cool. Yeah. So it is. So it is. So the platform does work on Mac as well. This one does. Yes. Awesome. And it's open right now. Like Burn Week is over, but we opened it back up. We kept it going, and we're organizing events. We have Day of the Dead events. We have, which is coming up next week, October thirtieth yeah. through November second. There's going to be events going on in um, in BRCVR. Not, you know, we have two hundred worlds that were created by burners. So you create your own art, just like you would on Playa. We're not creating everything for you. We you know, had Zoom classes where Greg and Doug were teaching people how to use various different programs in order to build your art and then upload it onto the Altspace platform. We okay. had a bunch of burners that just had to learn a monumental amount of technology. Yeah. Well, very cool though. And it's, it's, a, it's a living, breathing thing. It's constantly yeah. changing. It's constantly adding new things to it. That's just fantastic. Just like Journeyman. That's fantastic. And so that was, that's like uh, my crazy pandemic story is like, oh, I thought, <laughs> you know, the whole world is coming to a stop, except for me. I feel like I'm on a freight train with a jet engine behind it. It's well, like, but that's awesome, isn't it? I mean, yeah. we've, we've all had all of this time available to us to do things that we've either never done before or we've never had time to, right? Which is why for the first four months of this thing, you couldn't get yeast in the supermarket because all of a sudden everybody who've never baked in their lives are out making bread every day or right. things like that. Um, but to be able to turn that into something that channels the energy that you're building up to make something good mm -hmm. is terrific. I started this podcast because I needed a creative outlet because I've been home for a uh, gosh, it's almost a year now because of job issues. And then the pandemic came along and I'm driving myself crazy. I'm sitting around trying to find creative things to keep, you know, to keep me from losing my mind. And I said, I want to talk to other people and see how they're dealing in this, in this crazy time and went out and figured out the technology to do it all. And here we are. Right. So I think that's terrific that you channeled it into something as, as big and as creative and, um, 
as alive as this thing is. Yes. And very much still alive. Very much. I mean, we, like I said, you know, the community loved coming together. We keep getting asked by people um, on our Facebook page. I'll just plug it. It's BRCVR across all social media. You just put in BRCVR, Black Rock City Virtual Reality. Um, and uh, on our website, brcvr.org, you can get a ton of information and you can go there now. And if you've never been to Burning Man before, you can actually experience what the city looks like and, and feels like. Uh, November 27th through the 29th, we're having our gratitude and gifting weekend, which is also Thanksgiving weekend. And then, of course, we'll do another one for New Year's. And New Year's is a long weekend. Thursday is the 31st. The first is a Friday. And then we have Saturday and Sunday. So the 31st through the 3rd will be our New Year's weekend. And these are live events. These are live events. Yeah, there'll be workshops and DJs and yoga classes and, I mean, everything. All um, gathering inside the VR world to have that virtual party. Yes. Cool. And yes. but it's but it's there in between these events for you to go visit and wander around anyway. Exactly. You can have a solo experience, um, or you can have an experience with just a few friends if you want to just get some of your friends together and like, hey, let's all go to Burning Man together. And you show up on the playa at this, you pick a time and you all spawn in at the same time, and then you go on a walkabout. And you're just like, what's that over there? I don't know. Let's go over there. And you you fly over there because unlike real life, you get to fly. Yeah. yeah. So the best way to get around BRCVR is to fly. If you're on your desktop, PC or Mac, um, you you can still uh, fly. There on our website under Get Started, there's a thing called How to Play in the Digital Dust. And if you click on that. It will tell you all the directions on how to log in and how to play uh, and how to get an account and what all the keyboard directions are so that you can walk around and you can fly and you can do this and you can do that. If you're Very on cool. a VR headset and the Oculus Quest just came out, you can order them on Amazon. That's really the best way to experience it because it'll be immersive and you'll have hands. Whereas on the desktop, you don't have hands. When you have hands, you can pick things up. You can play with fire tools. You can play with, um, you can throw snowballs. You can shoot off fireworks. And you can get these things called flight tools. And so you can spawn flight tools and use them to fly around like Superman. And so you can be like, oh, what's that over there? Oh, let's go over there. And you all fly over there and you check it out and you see the portal and you go in and you can portal hop from place to place to place. A lot of the worlds have portals in them. Yeah. So you can you know, go to a world and be like, wow, this is amazing. Oh, what's that portal over there? Oh, let's go over there. So much like Burning Man, it's constantly going down the rabbit hole. That's very cool. It's free, by the way. I do need to point out, it's 100% free at this time. We are looking at ways in which we can charge. So because, you know, it's nice that we're all doing this as volunteers, but we do have bills and there are hard expenses. I've put those hard expenses on my credit cards personally, and I need to pay those off. So we do have a contribution button, like a donation button on our website. Um, and we're requesting people make donations at this time. We're not charging for the experience. So if you have a compelling experience and you've enjoyed yourself and you'd like to see this continue on, please contribute anything that you possibly can. Some people Absolutely. donate $20 or $1. The ticket to Burning Man is $475. So you decide what it is that you can contribute to keep BRCVR going. Yeah. 
We are being fiscally sponsored by Burning Man and we're working on that contract. We should have it done by the end of this week. And then your donations will become tax deductible. Oh, even better. Especially in a year when there won't be an on Playa festival. Mm -hmm. uh, Why not give some of that money to this project? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And, you know, also donate money to, to Burning Man. Uh, the lower third of our website of brcvr.org, there's a link where you can donate to Burning Man because we need to keep the mothership afloat if we're ever going to return to the desert again. That's true. That's mm-hmm. true. Yes. So, Athena, tell, tell me, what do you do to make your living? I mean, so, I'm guessing that this project isn't isn't paying you a regular salary to work on it. At all. In fact, it's costing me money, which is why yeah. I'm begging people to contribute right <laughs> now on your show. Understood. Um, uh, so in 2018, I liquidated my life in Los Angeles. I sold my home, all my belongings. I gave away a ton of stuff. And I pared myself down to, I have a few boxes. I have four boxes still in Los Angeles and some stuff in my mother's storage. But for the most part, I live out of two backpacks. And I decided to take a sabbatical. I quit my job. I mean, everything. So in January of 2019, I started a two-year sabbatical where I was just going to wander around and try to figure out what it was that I wanted to put my energy towards. Because continually doing the same thing, I worked for, I was the production manager for a two-time Oscar award-winning documentary film company called Mariah Films. And it's a great company and they do beautiful documentaries. And I was with them for eight and a half years. Okay. But I was literally working for them to afford my house. And I ran into a situation with the city of LA in regards to my house. And that is a whole nother show (laughs) uh, that that caused me to need to sell my house. And I needed to sell it at a grave discount and find somebody to buy it for cash. And I did. And I was able to get out of my house and maintain a little bit of money, not enough to just retire and say, peace out. But enough to have a nest egg and have some money to live off of for two years. I gave myself a budget of $1,500 a month, which in many countries is like living like a king. Yeah, true. And, uh, And that's what I lived off of for two years, all of 2019. And every time I went back to LA to visit, it just killed my budget. And then all of 2020. Now, 2020 started out with me realizing by the end of the year, I needed to come up with a form of income. And I came up with an idea for a television show called In Her Shoes. I actually just call it Her Shoes. And the concept is that for one month, one lunar cycle, uh, new moon to new moon, I would live with an indigenous group with the women and learn everything that they did as part of their process of life, their survival, the way that they acquire food, the way that they prepare it, childcare. I don't have any children of my own. Um, I'm a pure aunt. I I get to be everyone else's aunt. And uh, all their crafts, everything, their plant medicines, how they care for cuts and scrapes and toothaches and broken bones, like everything. And I went to an event called the Tribal Gathering, which is in Panama. This was the seventh year of the festival. And it's two weeks long. The first week is the Indigenous Immersion Week, where there are representatives. This year was representatives from 60 different tribes from all over the globe talking about their culture and teaching it and sharing it. 
And I went as to get a proof of concept of whether I can actually do this, whether I'll be invited in these indigenous groups to showcase their life and to answer a really important question, which is how has their process of life changed over the last four or five years due to a change within their environment, climate or humans moving in, deforestation, whatever it is. How has their life changed in the last four or five years? And I went there and I interviewed lots of women and I got invitations from 13 different indigenous groups to go live with them and experience their life and film it. And I was going to have an all-female crew so that while I'm in these sacred ceremonies, sacred feminine ceremonies, uh, that the energy is feminine. So it'll be the first time that there's like an all-female crew with a female show host doing a show about what it is to be feminine in this environment and how the environment is changing what that process looks like. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. So I went to the tribal gathering and I got a very positive response and lots of great footage, which I'm just now starting to edit together. And I'll be putting out on my Instagram and on my website. Uh, My Instagram is Athena Demos. Uh, My uh, website is ontathena.com. I have all these invitations, but now because of COVID, I can't actually go until the COVID relaxes a little bit. Right. So you started talking about your experience of when you left this session that you went to uh, for your proof of concept and how you got caught up in government uh, blocking and all that. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. The first week was the Indigenous Immersion. The second week was the music festival part of it. And the, the festival was winding down on like the 12th. Um, It really, truly ended on the 15th, but, you know, for the most part, the 12th was like a Friday. And that was when we started to notice a weird energy that was going on. Now we're in the middle of nowhere. There's very little internet. Um, Nobody's really paying attention to the outside world as often happens at these festivals. Sure. And, but word was starting to get in. Like I got a text message from somebody wondering if I was okay. And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Everything's totally fine. And why? And they're like, well, the, the globe is shutting down. I'm like, what do you mean the globe is shutting down? And then the next day on the 14th, we started to see police and military. And it was just sort of odd. On the 15th, we got notice that the gates are shut. They put military on the beach and nobody was allowed to leave. And we were all in quarantine. Wow. And that was when everything started to change. So every day we got new information. The, um, we had five different departments telling us five different things. The military was telling us something. The police was telling us something different. Immigration was telling us something different. The um, health department was telling us something different. We even had like Panamanian search and rescue came in and they were telling us something different. One would say, if you've been in Panama for 14 days, you can leave. Then another would say, if you've been at the festival for 14 days, you can leave. And then they, but, but you can't have a fever. You can't show any symptoms. Then, right. And no one had any symptoms or any fevers. Um, then there was, like, there was a pregnant woman who was feeling very ill, and they took her to the hospital because they thought that she might have it. But we didn't really have a test for COVID yet, and she didn't have a fever. And that created a big scare, which locked down the festival even more. And there was about 800 people of the 2,500 people who were at the festival left on site at that time. Okay. 
there and like van loads, buses of people would be told that they can leave because they had plane tickets and they wanted to get back to their home country. But there were all these roadblocks they had to go through because every little village, it was four hour drive. It was on the other side of Panama. It was on the Caribbean side from Panama City and Panama City is where you fly out of. And so we had a four hour drive away, but that four hour drive would become seven or 10 or one shuttle bus had a 16 hour craziness where some authority uh, took away 25 people's passports, which is completely illegal on like a Geneva convention sort of level and uh, sent them back to the festival, leaving them like on the side of the road in the bus without letting them out to pee, no water, no food. It was like really a horrible situation. And, and they what, back like two o'clock was, in the morning without their passports. Sure. What was the goal of this? Was it just to try to contain people inside Panama so that it reduced the spread? Uh, I mean, it sounds like it was so, I mean... There are days when I think our response here in the United States is is insane, but this sounds beyond crazy. What were they trying to accomplish by doing this? They had no idea. Look, every department was being told something different, and every department was trying to enforce the things that they were being told, and what they were being told was changing on a moment-to-moment basis. At that middle of March point of time, no one knew anything. We still know very right. little. But nobody knew anything. We had no test. We had we had nothing. And right. it was all speculation. And everyone was just scrambling. And here you have thousands of foreigners in a contained area, and they didn't want us out. They didn't want us spreading it. They saw us as a supercell for the virus, even uh, though okay. we had no cases whatsoever. We had no illness. We had a little sanitation problem at the very beginning of the festival where a whole bunch of people got a stomach bug. I got it as well. But I mean, that often happens at festivals because there's not really good hand sanitation. Yeah. How how long did it take you to finally get out? Um, It was an extra week. So I was at Playa Chiquita for three weeks. And at at the end, it was like on the 19th, They came in and they said, this is the final word. And I believed it was the final word because a representative from all five departments that had been telling us different things, they were all standing there. And the minister of health for Cologne, which is the state we were in, was speaking. And the military was there and the police were there. And, you know, like everyone was there. So I was like, okay, so we're all in agreement. And he said, if you have a plane ticket to get out of Panama and you don't have a fever and you've... Um, and you've been in Panama for 14 days, which all of us at that point had, yeah. uh, then you can leave. And so I got on Expedia and immediately booked a plane ticket. And I uh, I wanted to go to Peru. It's one of my favorite countries, but it was already closed. And I yeah. realized most countries were closed. And that's when, and they weren't telling us Panama was closing. But when I started looking for a place to go, I quickly found out almost every country was already closed. And we heard about like Costa Rica was closing on Friday, which was the very next day. And um, so people were scrambling, trying to get to the Costa Rican border in time to get to Costa Rica before they closed. And I'm like, holy shit, what the fuck is going on? And by then we pretty much knew that there was this crazy pandemic and everybody was getting sick and we need to be wearing masks and blah, 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 blah. I found out that I had three countries in Latin America or in America that I could go to. 
and it was yeah. Brazil, Mexico, or the United States. And the United States was out. I knew that was going to be a shit show. I also knew it was going to be way too expensive for me to go pretty much anywhere. Okay. So I decided that I would go to Mexico and I, I just, you know, I got a plane ticket and I flew to Cancun. You know, once I got there, I was like, I didn't know what to do. There were others that flew with me and, uh, and I helped others with plane tickets and, you know, I just, we just hoped for the best. Turned out a friend of mine lived in Southern Mexico and told me to come be with him. So I went there and I was with him okay. for about a week. And then I found my own Airbnb and ended up living in Zipolite, Mexico for four months. Okay. Uh, where are you now? I never thought to ask you that. I'm in Mexico. I, I, the United States is just too expensive for me to survive. I have absolutely no income right now. Okay. So I'm, I'm still living off my limited resources while I'm back producing my TV show. Okay. Uh, I have people that have donated money on my website. There's a, um, you can subscribe for $19.70 a year, and that helps contribute to the production cost of my television show. I'm also going to put a, um, another link for additional, I think I'm going to start a Patreon Okay. Because now I'm at the point where I do have a local indigenous group that's inviting me to come be with them. And I have hard production costs so that I can start shooting my show. And I want to start shooting my show, but I don't have the money to pull that off right now. Okay. Well, I will post all of the links and all of the contact information that you want me to into the liner notes that go with the show. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank oh, you. Thank of course. you so much. Yeah. My, my goal is to, to get this initial pilot done. I'm shooting a, uh, an episode about the day of the dead. I'm actually going to shoot it in 360, which is like having it in VR. And I'm also going to shoot a 2d trailer, but day of the dead during a pandemic. Oh yeah. Right. That's intense. And not the you know, recent Day of the Dead. They're not doing the parades or any of the modern commercialized stuff. That whole wearing the makeup and the big dress and the Katarina yeah. look. And that actually only started after the 1960s with an artist who depicted the goddess of the underworld in this way. And then people started dressing up like her. And it wasn't until 2015 when Spectre, the James Bond movie, did... Part of their movie was about this big Day of the Dead celebration in Mexico City, but it never existed. It was totally okay. fiction. So in 2016, Mexico City decided to have one and 250,000 people showed up. All of that has been canceled and none of it is traditional. Yeah. The traditional okay. celebrations are still going to happen and they are going to honor their dead. Okay. So you've been in Mexico for a while now. What's day-to-day -day life like in the middle of the pandemic down there? Um... It's loosened up. It was a lot tighter when I was down here originally. The first four months, actually, it was almost like I wasn't in a pandemic because the tiny little Pueblo that I was in was closed off from the outside world. So everyone inside was inside. We didn't have to wear masks. Um, there was hand sanitizer around. There was hand washing stations. Most of the restaurants were closed. You could eat outside. You could take your food to go. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's a nude beach. So there were the people that were in town could go to the beach. It's a public beach, but nobody else was allowed in. Okay. Um, then I moved that, but the internet was abysmal and I'm producing this virtual reality burning man thing and I needed better internet. Right. And I finally had a virtual reality headset that could barely connect to the internet in Zippolite. So I moved to a city that had better internet 
and there is where I saw people wearing masks. The parks were closed. The churches were closed. The city centers were closed. All the tourist attractions were closed. All the museums are closed. Right. Um, since then, I've been here for three months. Since then, the um, the churches have opened back up, but they rope off every other pew to keep everyone separated. There's you know marks on the ground every six feet, every a meter and a half. So if you're waiting to go into the bank, you have to stand separate. Or if you're waiting in line to check out at a grocery store, you stand separated. Everyone okay. is wearing masks. Um, hand sanitizers everywhere. If you want to walk into a Mercado, they take your temp- temperature, they give you hand sanitizer, and you have to be wearing a mask. Are they doing a good job controlling the spread? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. at least the numbers that are getting reported, they are doing a good job controlling the spread. Now, that being said, we just had a secondary uptick about a week yeah. ago. And we went, we were like in the yellow. They have like this red, orange, yellow, green, green, meaning the pandemic's gone. And we've been, you know, when I first got here, we were in the red and then it went to orange. We were in the orange for a while, then back to the red. And then we were in a, in the yellow for a while, back to orange and then yellow. We were in the yellow for a while and we were like, everything loosened up. We saw a few people not wearing masks and I'm like, here it comes. Yep. Yep. And now we're back in the red again, but we're like the red on the edge of the orange. And they canceled all the Day of the Dead parades and celebrations. They're even closing all the cemeteries. But I have a local Zapoteca family who's invited me to celebrate the Day of the Dead with them and to bring my cameras. So my idea is to be a family member with a local indigenous group. And I'm not saying I'm going to be in this tiny little dirt floor village. These people live a modern indigenous life and they weave some of the most beautiful rugs you've ever seen in your entire life. So I, I'm I'm going to this modern indigenous group to see how the modern traditions exist. How do you how are you feeling about the next six months? What do they look like for you? Um that's a good question. You, you know, I, I have a, a, a an acronym that I that I started using since the pandemic started, which is WTFK. And most people go, well, I know what WTF is. What is the K? And I say, who the fuck knows? And that's <laughs> WTFK. Well, what does my next six months look like? Who the fuck knows? Yeah. Um, my plan is that I want to put this 360 short film together about Day of the Dead in the pandemic and my 2D teaser trailer um, with my show Bible of the 13 tribes that I'm invited to be with yeah, and sell it before the end of the year. I want to have a distributor for my TV show before the end of the year so that come 2021, I'm putting together these episodes. Well, all the all the markets for these things are virtual nowadays, so it should be at least easy to do it without having to travel back into the United States, right? Correct. Correct. And I'd like to not travel back into the United States just for ease of travel. Like if I yeah. show on my passport, I haven't been back into the States. There's less worry of pandemic. Yeah. But yeah. there's a lot of restrictions against U.S. citizens. So it's going to be a complicated, some of these countries that I want to go to are not allowing U.S. citizens in. So it's going to be a complicated little visa uh, dance to try to get into some of these indigenous groups. And then, of course, wherever I go, I am going to have to hire a local crew. Right. 
because I can't bring like a whole bunch of people from the United States to wherever I go. Or if I do, we're going to have to land in a place. We're going to have to all get COVID tested locally before we go into any indigenous village. And then all wearing masks, all being very careful. I don't want to be like the conquistadors and bring in some virus that wipes out uh, a local group. And Absolutely. all of their ancient wisdom. That's not it. Not me. Yep. Yeah. No. That's. I appreciate that. That's very important to care. Okay. I was going to ask you next if there was anything I could plug for you, but we've got a lot of that covered throughout. I'll send you all those links. And, yep. And if anybody's listening and you work for a major company like Discovery, Nat Geo, Travel Channel, any of those things, uh, nobody really has female adventure hosts. And... I have all of this opportunity in front of me. All I need is someone who wants to distribute the show. Well, hopefully the right person will hear this and uh, maybe this will help. Maybe, maybe. I, for me, I believe that if you put it out into the universe, the universe will answer. Athena, thanks for being on the podcast today and stay safe. Oh, thank you, Jeff. You too. I hope you have a healthy and wonderful, blissful rest of 2020. (laughs) Thank you.